this concept for me this week. I was telling my wife, I'm so excited to, to, to preach this word, and I've been learning a lot. I always tell you that as I prepare, uh, I learn myself. Uh, when I'm studying the scriptures, sometimes I'm, I'm blown away by what God's word, the depth of God's word. When you spend time in it, when you read this, this is the biggest treasure that God has gifted man with. And, and when we spend time in it, when we indulge it, when we consume it, that's what God said to Joshua. Meditate on this book day and night. Then you'll be prosperous in all your ways. That's another part of this series that I'll come to. But I want to read quickly because I'm continuing the thought, the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Uh, a quick disclaimer uh, I, want to, I want to make. Whatever I teach you on this pulpit, on stage, whatever I preach to you, I am instructing you, please research it yourself. Please go through it and, say, and, and read the Bible yourself and say, Yo-Yo, is what Yo-Yo teaching me the truth? We're living in a time that's very scary. And I don't want you to, to rely on just whatever you hear. You have to be very careful. And I want you to have a personal relationship with the Word of God. Amen? Let's read Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. By the way, this parable of the sower, Jesus said, it is the most important parable that we need to understand. If we do not understand the parable of the sower, we cannot understand the rest of what Jesus said. Simply because this parable reveals what happens when the human being hears the word of God. The way we receive God's word. So if we don't understand this, this point, we miss it. So Jesus is talking about the different ways that people receive God's word. What always never, I can never understand is there will be, I don't know how many of you in this room, 50, 60 people in this room, you will all hear the same word, but some of you walk out of here saying, what an encounter with God that I had, what a word of God. And others will say, oh, that was a waste of time. You heard the same word, but it landed in different soil. So Jesus is exposing the word of God and how it works in people's life. And he talked about one of the seed, which I focused on last week. I'll quickly touch on it. It said this, the seed that fell among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. So mind you, this person is in church. This person is sitting maybe next to you. They hear the word, but the worries of this life and there's that word that I based this subject on. And the deceitfulness of wealth, what does it do? It chokes the word, making it unfruitful. When you read it in Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel, they, they, they show it in another light. But wealth, I was speaking about last week, has a very deceptive nature to it. When Jesus is teaching on what makes people not mature, Jesus is teaching us this is what makes people hear God's word, but it doesn't do anything in their life. It doesn't move them to any action. It doesn't cause any growth or maturity. And one of the reasons Jesus teaches us is, number one, the worries of this life. You know, the bills that wait for you in the house. My dad used to make me laugh when I used to live with him. Uh, I'll say, Dad, you've got mail. He's, uh, I'll say in, in Amharic, back a bill not all. Like he doesn't, he knows, he's like, that, that letter, I know it's going to be bill, so I don't want to read it. And he just piles up there. I'm like, Dad, I don't think it's going to go away if you ignore it. And some of us think that, but you know, life has worries that it brings. You know, the food that we're going to have, the clothes that we're going to wear, 
that Jesus explained, these are the worries of life. Marriage problems if you're married. So you're in the church, but your marriage problem is where your eyes is on. Or kids' rebelliousness in your life. I'm struggling with a few at the moment. Zoe's just started. She's not here, yeah? She is? Uh, Zoe, my beautiful girl. <laughs> I have to be careful what I say in front of her. All right. So the worries of this life, and this is what Jesus said, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word of God. So in other words, there are things when we fix our eye on them, it makes, it has a direct link on our spiritual life. It makes us unfruitful, unproductive. Check this out. So what we see then dominates what we hear. Let me go a bit further. Walking by faith becomes inconceivable and walking by sight the only logical conclusion. We're in the house of God and we're hearing a message on faith, but our minds and our life is captured by the next job that I need to get. And therefore, what the preacher is saying that trusts Jesus just comes in the ear and goes out the other ear. We cannot comprehend what we hear because our eyes are fixed on what we see. John chapter 12, verse 1 to 6. I think this particular story perfectly illustrates the deceitfulness of wealth versus someone who sees the treasure of Christ. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Lazarus was the same one that Jesus commanded, come out of the tomb, and he walked out. He had a a sisters named Martha and Mary. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So after this event, after this moment, significant moment, where Jesus commanded a dead person to rise. By the way, it's not a metaphor. (laughs) Do you know what that happened? Jesus still raises the dead today. How many believe that Jesus still raises the dead? Can I see your hands? He does. And he said, and after that amazing thing that they experienced in their family, verse number two, they had a dinner to honor Jesus for what he had done for them. You know, this is always the case. When you know what Jesus has done for you, you can't help but give. The first thing that comes is, God, what can I do? It doesn't have to be money, but I want to serve you, God. I want to live for you, God. Send me wherever you want to send me because I have seen what you have done for me. So there was a dinner that was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served like she did previously. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The Bible says that the hair of the woman is her glory, yeah? So the, 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 the best part of the woman meeting the worst part of the body of Jesus, his feet. He was dirty. He walks on his feet. But what made her do such a lavish offering to this Jesus. And the house was filled with fragrant, fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Because it's worth a year's wage. He did not say this, 
because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put in it. Judas was in charge of the money of the ministry of Jesus. So whatever donations were given to Jesus' ministry, uh, Judas will, would just help himself to whatever needs he had. Judas had an issue of loving money. Mary was someone who saw the preciousness of Christ and the value of Christ. She saw the beauty of Christ. Mary would not even know what Jesus had done for her besides the event of raising her, her dead brother. Before that, even an incident happened when Jesus was in the house of Mary and Martha and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. She saw the value of this man from Nazareth named Jesus. Mary was a woman who always chose what was better. Her priority was always Christ. Remember what Jesus said in the house of Martha and Mary? She chose what is better, and I will not take that away from her. Judas, on the other hand, he lived with Jesus for over three years. He walked with him. He saw all of the miracles firsthand. He saw the nature miracles. He saw the healings. He saw the casting out of evil spirit. He had the privilege of not only hearing the greatest teacher and preacher that has ever lived, but he was part of the inner circle where he would get a, a more in-depth commentary on what Jesus preached. He would, he would gather the 12 and he would give them a deeper insight because he was preparing them to be the next leaders of the church that he's about to plant. You know, some people say, if I see, then I will believe. You will never believe no matter what you see because faith is not a matter of seeing, it's a matter of believing. But Judas, not only that, he was sent out with authority given by Jesus to cast out demons and to preach. And he did ministry, guys. Judas did ministry. Judas attended the services. Judas were following Jesus. Judas had more reasons than this woman named Mary to treasure Christ. He had more reason to see the preciousness of Christ. But Judas had this problem of a love of money. He was a thief who helped himself from what donations were made to the itinerant ministry of Jesus. But I want you to notice what he said. Notice how he covers his greed as something spiritual. People who always love money are often the most critical when it comes to the money that is spent on Jesus. You missed it right there. People that love money are always the most critical people that talk about money that is spent on Jesus. The church should spend money this way and that way while they themselves do not give a cent to contribute to the, to the ministry of the church. See the deceitfulness of wealth? Judas goes to church He's the word, does ministry, but the love of money literally choked him to his death because Judas hanged himself. Money is an evil master. That's why Jesus said you cannot have two masters. It's either you serve me or you, save, you serve money. It promise, its promises are fleeting. But Mary, who valued Christ more than money, gladly spent a year's worth of wages on Jesus' feet. 
Later in other translations, in other gospels, Jesus says, even here, when you read down, Jesus says, shush, but basically says, shush, leave her alone to Judas. Because what she's doing is significant. He even said, her name will always be preached when my gospel is taught because she prepared me for my burial. <sighs> this is why Jesus said, where our treasure is, our heart is. Not where your heart is, where your treasure is. Let me have a printout of your bank statement and whatever you're spending most on is where your heart is. Because we will never spend on what we do not value. Me spending on my iPhone $1,200.75. I'm joking, I don't know if that's anything that much. But, but whatever I spent on it is because I saw the value in it. So I said that phone is worth my week's or two weeks wage, whatever it comes down to. So when you commit to a house for 30 years of your life, you're saying I value the house and therefore I sacrifice my eight hours a day for 30 years for this house. But this woman saw a greater treasure and his name was Jesus. Do you know something fascinating? I was reading one of the commentaries. They said this, Mary spent on Jesus, sorry, what Mary spent on Jesus was worth 25,000. And what Judas, after a few days from this moment, received 30 pieces of silver to betray and deny Jesus was worth $1,000. Mary valued Jesus more than money, while Judas valued money more than Jesus. The exact explanation of what I'm showing you, this is the deceitfulness of wealth. It promises things that can never give us. And when we bow down and serve it, it eventually chokes us to death. What I want us to see, young people, is the real thing. Because once you see the real thing, you can easily identify the fake. So when you have tasted Christ, you won't be fooled by a fake. This is why I'm spending time to show us the treasure of Christ. So you won't be deceived by a cheap copy. Like, yo, some of you are probably thinking, yo, yo, you're so negative towards money. Like, is it because you don't have a lot of it? Like, you're probably asking that in yourself. No, if you know me, if anyone in this room knows me, my heart is one thing. My heart is for you to know the value and the preciousness of Jesus. Because once you know the value and the preciousness of Jesus, then God can trust you with worldly riches. I'm coming to that next week. I want you to know the real thing, young people. When you know the real thing, when you know the real thing, you can identify the fake. You know, when cash systems were very popular, now I know it's fleeting, but people that were handling money, they, they, the banks especially, they had to train them how to fill the real, real notes. Because when people make cheap copies, it's easily identifiable. So they don't spend hours because thieves, they can, they can produce so many copies in so many ways. So instead of educating people, this is fake, this is fake, they taught them Really feel the right one. Because when you have a feel of the right one, when the fake one comes, you will not fall for it. And my heart in this series is you know the real treasure, is that you know the real deal. When you know the real deal, when you've tasted the real deal, when the fake one comes, when the deceitfulness of wealth comes and says, if you serve me and deny your God, then you will be happy, then you will have this. You can say, "Uh uh-uh. That's a cheap copy that will probably break in a couple of days. But what I have is more valuable. Can I get an amen there? Yeah. So what wealth 
promises to give us a cheap copy of an original. It might seem like they give us the real thing, but soon we will realize that it breaks easily. By the way, wealth, I'm not saying is miserable. <laughs> you can have fun with it. You can have tremendous fun with it. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? He said to his father, give me my share, and he took his money, and he spent it on wild living parties and, and prostitutes and all these things. And the Bible says one day he ran out of it. When he ran out, the Bible says he came to his senses. And he said, wait a minute, I'm eating food with pigs. He said, when I had money, I had many friends around me. But now I have no money. Who's there next to me? And he remembered his father and he decided to turn around and go back to his father's house. The deceitfulness of wealth is that it makes possessions and materials more attractive than God. It takes the beauty of Christ and puts the beauty of another more attractive. Last week, I remembered, I shared with you, I mean, I want you to remember, I shared with you 1 Timothy chapter 6. Write it down. I'm, not, I'm dealing with young adults now, so, so you need to be students. You need to be, you need to be writing notes, taking notes. Be students of the word. With the youth, they can sit and listen, but you need to be students. First Timothy chapter 6, when you, when you read the whole chapter, Paul is dealing with this particular subject of the love of money. He's talking about rich people. So in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, last week I shared on it, I'm not going to go back to it, but verses 3 to 11, he talks about these false teachers and how because they loved money, they went and preached that, that money is connected with godliness. And, and, and Paul refutes that idea and he says, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with financial gain. In other words, he taught them that contentment is great gain. And he said, he reminded them, if we brought nothing into this world, guess what? We're going to live with nothing when we leave this world. You came butt naked, you're going to leave here butt naked. You know, the, Pharise the, the, the pharaohs back thousands of years ago, they thought they can take their money, their material possessions to the next life. But what are we doing with it now? We're enjoying them in museums. We're enjoying them in museums. We're like... Ooh, very interesting. You know, we got, we got this highly, you know, uh, artistic people. Very fascinating the way they're wrapped. We're just enjoying it. They thought they can take it to the afterlife. But why would, what, what, it's just the deceptiveness of. And then he said, those who want to get rich, they fall into many harmful desires. And he said, that, that plunged them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils is the correct translation. Some people, this is the scariest part, verse 10. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That scared me. Because they wandered away from what they once believed. What made them do that? The love of money. The deceptiveness of wealth. And verse 11, remember, but he said to him, but you, man of God, flee from all this and he said pursue another pursue another love he said pursue righteousness godliness remember what Jesus said don't worry about this thing but pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness pursue another amen and then John Piper described the love of money as this quick quick uh quick definition a love the love of money according to John John Piper is a condition of the heart that feels more security more pleasure and more hope in earthly possessions than it does in the fellowship and the faithfulness of God. 
It is to believe that what God can only give, you will get from other means. And Paul says that even many have walked away from the faith. Hebrews 13, quickly, verse 5 to 6. This is what the Hebrews writer encourages us. Therefore, keep your lives free, church, believers of Jesus Christ. Keep your lives free from the love of money, not from money, from the love of it. And be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, nor, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So we all, remember contentment is, is, is a secret that Paul had to learn and that we need to learn. You don't need what the advertisers are telling you that you need to have. The latest of this, the latest of that. And so we're running after it and we accumulate our life with so much debt that makes us miserable. I'll teach you all that in another part of this series. Now, I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. My, in my 20 minutes, this is all I have. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. This is my assignment today. Command those who are rich in this present world, in other words, they have money, not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth. Why? It is so uncertain. But do what then? Put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich, rich, sorry, in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. He said, command those who are rich in this present age. Did you know, young adult, by being in Australia, being in this room, by having a house, by having a car, you might not even have a car, it doesn't matter, by having food, clothing, we are part of the top 10% of wealthy people in the world. Did you know that? Yeah? I hope you did. Do some studies on wealth distribution in the world. The top 26, according to Oxfam, the top 26 wealthiest billionaires in the world have the same amount of wealth as 3.4 of the most billion people of the of the poorest people on earth did you hear me did that make sense because you should be shocked <laughs> 26 people have the same amount of money as 3.4 billion people of the poorest people on earth it is the top one percent that control the most so I want you to know in this command, by the way, another stat, according to Oxfam, 3.4 billion people live on $5.50 a day. I think here there's a lot of people that get 20-something dollars an hour. 3.4, can you comprehend that? Billion people in the world live a day on $5.50. So Paul's address, command those who are rich in this present age, is us. We are the rich. We are the wealthy of today's society. What is God commanding us? He said, number one, let them not be arrogant. 
arrogance or pride in what they have. It's, it's arrogance is often connected with being rich. He said the instruction to Timothy was to tell rich people to not put their, their hope in wealth because it is so uncertain. Do you remember a number of years back in the U.S.? The, the economy collapsed, and I saw this documentary of a billionaire. He literally lost every investment that he had, and he was miserable. There were just debts upon debt. Every asset that they had was taken, and, and in this documentary, you can see this joyous couple, because when the documentary started, uh, I forgot the name of it, was when they had the money. And then it happened to be the economy collapsing and they continued afterwards and they lost everything. Many in that depression time lost their life. They committed suicide because money as a master is a horrible master. It, it, its ultimate end is because its promises are fleeting. He said, it's so uncertain. You can lose it all in a day, young people. You can have so much of it one day in one sleep, you could lose all of it. <laughs> he said, because of the nature of it, don't put your hope there. He said, but rather put it in God. Trusting him as our provider. God is a secure investment. Amen? Us trusting him is the securest investment that we can make. And the way he instructed rich people, us, I'm included in this, is to combat against the love of money, what do we do is to be generous and willing to share. Be generous, command these rich people to be giving people. Let them be generous with their resources. So remember, we're going to stand before God one day. And we are the rich people, and he's going to ask us, what did we do with what has been entrusted to us? You know, one thing that I've often seen in the church, I've been in the church now for over 10 years, many people, not just in this room, many people gladly give towards so many worthless stuff in life. But when it comes to giving towards God, people do not want to do it. They will come with philosophies, they will come with excuses, they will come with accusations. When it comes to honoring God with our finances, people have a problem but they don't have a problem going the next day into JB Hi-Fi and spending 15000 on a television screen. I'll put the number higher so you don't think I'm talking about anyone. You know, that's, that's, that's the world that we're living in. People do not have a problem in spending money on worthless things. I was seeing this food show. I love the food show. Don't judge me. Uh, I, I love the food channel. And, uh, and I was watching it, and one day it was about the eloquent eating, the food of the rich. That was the show. And these people, I just wanted to just kick them in the head. Abel, they went, and on their egg, they wrapped it around, around a gold leaf. And do you know what the, the, the restaurant claimed? When you eat of this egg with gold leaf, it would make your insides very rich. <laughs> I'm like, that is so cheesy. And these people are buying it. People don't have a problem to spend money on worthless stuff. My, my rich friend, I wish I was the interviewer. I would say to him, my rich friend, he's lying to you. <laughs> You're going to poop that out in about half an hour. Because gold was never meant to be in your stomach. <laughs> Church, let's wake up. We have a problem when it comes to giving towards God but we give to every other outlet 
We can go out of here, spend $70 eating out. We can spend $100 this. But when the church says, let's give towards God, let's give towards the, the church, we have a problem with that. And my prayer is that God dismantles this understanding from our mind so that when you stand before God, it's already too late after that. I'm going to come to it right now. He said, what we do with our wealth here is laying up treasure in the age to come there. What we do with our possessions here is laying up, earthly, uh, is laying up treasures in heaven there. Jesus said this himself. Don't store up where moth and, and things can steal and destroy. Store up treasures in heaven. What does that mean? Friends, you think heaven is you being half naked with a nappy on, playing a harp, floating on a cloud. That's not heaven. Hollywood painted that to be heaven. Heaven is an establishment of the kingdom of God that is manifest. So when Jesus returns, there's going to be the manifestation of the world that Jesus intended to give. And you're going to have a life. And what Jesus is saying is, even in his parable there, in his teaching, he's saying, be wise with your investment. You know, we look for secure investments that have a high return on our income. And, and, and we just invest in things that they could be as secure as they tell you, but it's not certain. It can collapse the next day. But we fail to put investment in the kingdom that never shakes, that never loses, that never has economic, economic meltdown. We, we don't invest. And, and we're being fools when we think we're wise. We're, when we're being stingy, we're thinking we're saving, but God is saying you're losing. Amen? Check this out. This will bless you. Earthly wealth has no significance in the world to come. If you are a billionaire in wealth here, but do not have the treasure of treasures, Jesus, in your life, you are the poorest on earth. Let me repeat that. If you are a billionaire in wealth here, but do not have Jesus as the Lord of your life, you are the poorest person on earth, my friend. Can you go to Proverbs chapter 11, verse number four? Proverbs is wisdom. Read this. We need some wisdom in our life. Can you, can you read it with me? Wealth is precious. You're shaking your head. So what, what does it say? Wealth is when? In here? In this world? No, 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 no. Wealth is very precious in this world. You can get a lot of stuff with it. When is wealth worthless? In the day of, when you stand before God, do you think your billionaire, your billions of dollars that you've stored up through very false ways, whatever the way you've managed to get it, do you think that you can go to the pearly gates, stand before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, um, let's make a deal. You say, I've got, I've got, I, I, I'm a very well respected and known person on earth and I've got jets under my name, and I've got certain BMWs, and I've got this, 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 and let's, let's do a bargain. How about I give you half of my asset, and you let me into the kingdom? Do you think your money is going to buy you anything up there? Worthless. But righteousness, on the other hand, delivers from death. That's true wealth. 
Acts chapter 8, verse 18 to 20. One fool thought that he can buy with his money what God can only give. When Simon saw the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hand, he offered them money and said, give me this also. Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you taught you could buy the gift of God with money. The error of Simon is that he thought he can attain the precious gifts of God with his material wealth. Friends, I don't care how much money you have, you do not buy your way to the kingdom of God. I don't care how much fame you have, I don't care how much authority you have on this earth, you do not have any way. You can never exchange that for the gifts of God. The gifts of God can only be done, one thing can only be done to them, they can only be received. We can never earn it. We can never pay for it. What are the, the traits? What are the things? I want you to think with me for just two minutes when I'm finishing very soon. What are the things that people in this world really want? Just think about it. You know, even the rich, the poor, what, what do we have in common? What is the human heart longing and needing? Love, isn't it? Robbie's like, yep, I think you, 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 you said it, didn't you? Love. Every human heart want, wants this. The rich, the poor, doesn't discriminate. They want love. Everyone wants to be loved. What is it? Joy. People want joy. We talked about joy before in the song. But people are looking for joy. They want to be happy. Do you know there's people that have never smiled? <laughs> My precious. There's people that have never smiled in a, a day in their life. They're miserable. And they want joy. There's things like Peace. How many do you know? They're saying, I wish I had peace. By the way, I always say this and I'll say it again. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is that we rest in peace when we perish. You never rest in peace when you perish. Stop writing RIP when people die because they do not rest in peace. Resting in peace is only in Jesus. Resting in peace is now. It's not a future event. It's a now present reality. Amen? We don't rest in peace. We stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if we do not have this Jesus that is so precious, a commodity that can never be bought, a commodity that cannot be earned, if we do not have this Jesus on the day of judgment, you will not have peace. Jesus said you'll be cast into the fiery lake to be tormented where the gnashing of teeth will be. You know, this doesn't get preached nowadays because it's going to offend people because you're not going to come back next week. I'm going to lose donations. This is not my church. I'm not worried about that. This is his church. Young adults, you don't have Jesus in your life. You will die. If you die tomorrow, you will go to hell. This is why I, I, I'm so passionate about the gospel. This is why I preach every single week. And I say, God, open the eyes of this generation. Because when you die, the saddest thing is not that someone dies. I'm not afraid of dying. The saddest thing is someone dies without Jesus. And we are Christians. And we, are, we have this treasure in our heart. And we have friends in our work. We have friends in our uni that don't know Jesus. And we shut our mouth. And we say, hey, bro, how was your week? We don't even use that opportunity. How was your weekend to testify about our faith? And then when the death comes, we accept the invitation for the burial. And we attend. And we do a service. 
It's too late. There was a rich man named Lazarus. And while he was on earth, he didn't see the value of Jesus. He didn't see the preciousness of Christ. So when he died, it was too late. I know religions out there tell you that when you die, you'll have a second chance. There is no second chance. What are you going to do with Jesus today? That's the truth that will bring freedom in your life. And Lazarus thought, he said, I want to come over, cross over to where you are because I'm suffering in torment. And the poor man, see the contrast there, the poor man that sat at his gate but didn't have all the riches that this man had that he ignored him, we know that he had the truth in him because he's in heaven. And he said, I want to come. And Abraham said, it's too late. There's a chasm between you and I. I cannot come there. You cannot come here. And then he said, well, then I have brothers and sisters. I have family members that haven't heard. They haven't believed. I don't want them to come in this place. Let them, someone go from the dead and they will listen. And Abraham said, they will not listen. Even if miracles, even if someone rises from the dead, they're not going to believe. Do you know what's fascinating in that story? When Jesus is speaking that, he's talking about himself. Because a few days later, he rose from the dead. And the Pharisees are there listening. They still didn't believe. These things that the human heart longed for, by the way, this is the deceitfulness of wealth. It says, if you have more of me, you will have joy. You will have a good time. Remember that man, the rich man? I'll put up my leg, enjoy my retirement. You know, money promises us this. When you have me, you can have any girl that you want and you can have love. When you have rich, when you're rich, girls are going to run after you. So you're going to have a lot of money. You need to run after it, make money, and then girls are going to come to you and then you're going to be loved. Girls do not love you. They love your money. If girls are coming to you for your money, they're not loving you. They're loving your money. Vice versa, so you don't think I'm sexist. This, the opposite is true. If girls, you think you can buy love, you cannot buy love. So the deceitfulness of wealth is that we can have certain material things that will give us joy, peace, and, and kindness and all these things. But last time I checked my Bible, joy is the automatic fruit of God's presence in our life. Last time I read my Bible in Galatians, love was a fruit. Last time I read my Bible in Galatians, peace was a fruit of the presence of God in our life. It was the reality of those who had the true treasure of Jesus. Self-control. How many try to go to lessons and classes of how to have self-control? How to not spend a lot of money. How to not buy impulsively what I see everywhere in the market. Let me go to a seminar. I can do it. I can be self-control. I can have it. Yes, I can. It might, it might work for a few, but then old habits will come. But true self-control is a fruit. Faithfulness. How many people in relationships? I would just want a man that I can trust. I just want a girl that I know is not going to just cheat on me and, and just going to be loyal and faithful to me. And faithfulness is what we seek for. But you'll only find it. It's a fruit of God. That's why we need to be careful. Those we get in a relationship with, must have this fruit evident in their life. Because if the fruit is not there, you're not guaranteed the faithfulness. I say to my wife, if I wanted to cheat, I can do it. Nothing stops me. 
if I wanted to go behind the back and what stops me is this fruit that's in me. It's this fear of God that's implanted in me. What stops me is this love that is inside of me. It's a fruit. This idea that when I get this, then I will change. Then I will have this. Today, I dismantle it in the name of Jesus. Matthew 19, 23, last two verses. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The reason why Jesus said this is because of the deceptive nature of wealth. Young adults, my prayer and my heart for you is that you do not fall victim to this deceptive nature of wealth. That you do not fall victim to mammon, but your heart may be captured by another. Amen? Jeremiah 2.13, my last and we'll pray. God had this against his people, the Israelites. This is the accusation that he had against them. He said, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me. The spring of living water. That's what, Jesus say, um, that's what God is saying in this. He's saying, they have forsaken me. The people that I chose and called out, they have left me. The true living water, true satisfaction, true, the true living God, the creator, they've forsaken me and have dug, number two, their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's what happens when we reject the true treasure. We build our own mechanisms we try to get joy and we build our own little way. We have parties, we, have, we get lit and we do this and we have a joy. Yeah, we do have joy because I used to do it. I used to get smashed and I used to have fun. Don't tell me sin is not fun. Sin has a fun element to it, but it's not fun the next day when I wake up throwing up. But I'm trying to fabricate these desires that I have, but I'm not finding in these things. So we build our own little wells and we build it and we say, maybe if I do this, then, so we do it. Maybe if I have this job, maybe if I have this man or this woman, then I'll have this peace, this joy. But Jesus is saying, let's come to him. Let's come to him. God wants us to handle money in such a way that we show God to be our greatest treasure and not money. The things that make a person wealthy in this life mean nothing in the next so I want you to pray with me today that God will deliver us do you know what I always pray to God for I always say God never give me anything that will take my heart away from you I don't care what it is whether it's a title whether it's a position whether it's a whatever it is do not give me if it takes my heart away from you I pray that every time because I said Jesus you're the most precious treasure in my life let's pray I believe, I believe God is delivering people in this room today. God spoke many times in my life through different people, and they said the same thing. He, they said to me, God is raising you up in this generation to snatch people from the mouth of the enemy. People that are about to be devoured, to snatch them out of the mouth of the enemy. And I thought, God, what does that mean? Is it to pray for people? Is it to deliver in the name of Jesus, cast out demons? I always thought, what is it? And I was praying two weeks ago. I don't know if I've shared it with you, but I was praying two weeks ago, and, and, and God just dropped it in my spirit. It's through teaching. What's going to deliver you is knowing the truth. 
When you know the truth, you will be set free. And when you live in freedom, you live in the intended life that Jesus purchased by his blood to give us. Don't live your life a slave to mammon, to money. Be free from it. My prayer for us is that we would be heeding the word of God. Because when we hear God's word, this deceitful nature of wealth can choke the ability of the word to be fruitful. When you read in one story in Deuteronomy, God commands the Israelites to do this thing. He said, every day, I want you to go out and get the manna that I, that I give you. But on the, on, the, on, the, on the sixth day, you need to collect twice as much because on the Sabbath day, it's going to be a day of rest. rest so you're not going to collect. So Moses said, this is what God said. He tells the people this and, and they hear it. But some people, hearing wasn't enough. What they did was they, they did exactly what God commanded them not to do. And they wanted to store more. And when they did so, it was rotten. This is what I've learned in ministry. There's people who hear God's word, believe it, and obey it. And there's people that want to experience it. They will not be convinced until they try it. If God says, this will destroy you, there's people that say, yes, Lord, I will turn from that. And there's people that say, I want to taste it and see it for myself. My prayer is that you're a generation who trusts the words of the living God. Don't trust the words of your, your Trust the words of your creator. And the word of God is teaching us today. Lord Jesus, I pray that our hearts may be enlightened, that our eyes may be opened, that our ears may be opened to know the reality of this truth in our life. That you may protect us from the deceitful nature of wealth. That we may not be, uh, that we may not, our hearts may not be captured by the love of money, Lord. But that we may be generous, Lord. When you bless us with material possession, Lord. That we don't become uh, people like the world that hoard it for ourselves, Lord. But that we'll be generous and willing to advance your kingdom. Not only that, to help those that are in need. Those that are less fortunate, Lord. That we will remember, Lord, that you have put us in a wealthy position not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters who are struggling in other nations to even have food on their table, Lord. May you raise up a generous generation. May you raise up a giving generation. May you raise up the Mary Magdalene's of our days, Lord. May you raise up people, Lord, that have an interest for your house, that have a passion for your kingdom, Lord. Let us not be too busy building our own houses that we forsake your kingdom. Lord, protect our hearts. Deliver us from this evil evil, evil, deceptive master, Lord. Lord, be the Lord of our life. Be the king of our heart. Dominate our thought life. Dominate our meditation life. Dominate everything that is consumed us, Lord. I pray that in the name of Jesus, I cast down every imagination, every thought in our minds, Lord, that comes against your knowledge, that comes against your truth. I dismantle it in the name of Jesus. May we live in freedom, Lord. The Bible says in Galatians 5.1, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Lord, let us live in freedom. I pray for every person in this room and those that might be watching, that we, wait, that we may live in freedom, that we may walk in freedom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much. Next week. Uh, I'll